Good singing together. A great song to close out 2023. Amen? Amen? Amen. Hey, um, next week in the new year, 2024, we're going to be starting a brand new series, a series called Origin Story. And it's going to be examining the first book of the Bible, uh, the book of Genesis. So I'm excited about that. I'd encourage you to start reading through the first few chapters. We're going to spend uh, several weeks just examining chapters one and two. Um, so I look forward to that. Before we uh, turn the page into the new year, um, I, as I was praying about how we wanted to close this year, I really wanted to invite uh, a special member of our church family to give the, the final word in 2023. Uh, that's Chip Santa Barbara. Many of you know Chip. Uh, amen. Uh, if you don't know Chip, let me just share a little bit of his story and he'll maybe uh, reference it uh, in his message. Uh, Chip, about 10 years ago, came walking through this door uh, really out of a place of brokenness. He had been in the prison system. He had been really on the cusp of, of death in many ways. Um, his life was going in a, in a completely opposite direction than where it is today. And it was through uh, Steve Anderson, a minister here, a member of our church family, and um, and in the ministry that he has in the prisons, that that the gospel first came to uh, Chip, Chip Santa Barbara, and he accepted that gospel. And when he walked through the door the first time here, um, he was really terrified. I think to be at a church, uh, he didn't think he really belonged. And it was at that time that uh, uh, little Miss Winnie, some of you might remember her, uh, little Miss Winnie came up to him, saw Tim coming in those doors and gave a huge, big hug. And little Winnie, I mean, Winnie is like this big. I'm not kidding. And uh, she gave him a big hug and welcomed him here and said, you belong here. And it was in that moment he really felt like this is my church family. And ever since then, over this past decade, uh, Chip has been growing in leaps and bounds. I mean, we, we watch. I remember in those first few years talking to Chip, there, it was green wood, you know. There was stuff where I'm like, oh, man, all right, let's get you back a line. Every time that my, myself or one of our pastors or, or someone else that was discipling him and pouring into his life saw something that was a little, you know, a little off or maybe an area that needed some correction, every single time Chip repented, he, he came into obedience and he said, okay, I'm going to live for the Lord in this area of my life. And it was just so great to watch God get a hold of somebody's life. Um, early on when I met Chip, I knew this is somebody that God had called to ministry, called to evangelism. Um, Chip has had a ministry here for the past several years called Broken Beginnings. It's a men's discipleship ministry. They'll meet with men from all different walks of life, uh, sharing the gospel, in relationship, accountability, uh, getting in the word together. And there's uh, several guys from uh, Broken Beginnings that are here today. Chip will tell you a little bit more about that ministry. But uh, I don't want to share any more about that because I want him to get to the word. All right. So would you give a warm Brandywine welcome to the last word of 2023 that's going to be given by Chip Santa Barbara. Chip, come on up. I have to bring my water in case my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth from being nervous. I hope you forgive me. Practice grace and forgiveness around here, right? Yeah. Amen. Oh, man, it is such an, an honor, uh, an honor and a blessing to be here and to be asked to, to, to bring the word of God. 
never thought it, it possible. As Nate said, you know, 10 years ago, I walked through those doors, fresh out of prison and drunk. And 10 years later, here we are. It'll be 10 years in like two months, and, and here we are. Further, um, I wanna, do want to say thank you for all the prayers for the ministry. I am a missionary with Prison Outreach of Delaware. We go into the prisons, and then I also head out Broken Beginnings, as Nate, Nate said. And, uh, um, you know, all of that is possible through prayers and support of you guys. And uh, also through those prayers and support, just a quick praise report, uh, especially for those that maybe they're struggling with a, with a rough past. Just uh, two weeks ago, I was supposed to go for a pardon and go in front of the pardon board. Um, to pardon a 14-page rap sheet, and, uh, and I got a call the day before the pardon, and they said, hey, you know, Mr. Santa Barbara, we decided unanimously to accept your pardon. <laughs> so, praise the Lord, thank you for that, uh, for, for um, you know, praying for us, for supporting me and my family, and keeping us uh, bathed in, in prayer, but uh, would you join me in, in a word of prayer this morning? Heavenly Father, Lord, my God, my rock, my redeemer, praise you. I thank you, Lord, that you are good, kind, merciful, compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. I thank you that you're patient with us sinful people. I thank you that you went to the cross and paid it all in our stead. Thank you that you ascended into heaven and you sent back your Holy Spirit, Lord. And by that same Holy Spirit, I pray, Father, you would help us this afternoon, this morning, to push out the noise. It's been a rough year for some, for, mo for many, for most. I pray that you would push out the noise of our hearts, our minds, the world. Maybe if we're struggling with fear or shame or guilt, push it out that we would hear from you, from your spirit, that we would listen for that still, small voice. I pray that you would till the soil of my heart and their hearts that you would speak through me. Father, I pray that not a word would come from my mouth that is not from you. I have nothing to say. I trust you. I, I love you. And we need you to speak. We need you, Father, now more than ever. So, Father, we want to commit this time to you. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts will be pleasing unto you, our rock and our salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Excuse me. Again, my name is Timothy Santa Barbara. Everybody calls me Chip. Um, just don't call me late for dinner. I got to keep up this fatherly figure, right? <laughs> and uh, again, we are a discipleship ministry, Broken Beginnings. We want to equip the saints for war. You see, we minister to have a saying, everybody from the penthouse to the cardboard box and everywhere in between. That's who we minister to. We just simply want to equip men uh, for, for war, to go out and to fight for the kingdom of God, mm -hmm. to be able to, to be discipled in, in that manner. Um, that's what we do. And so you guys have heard enough about me. I want to ask a few questions to you uh, and also to, to myself. Um, by show of hands, how many people here would say that they have been bought by the blood of the Lamb and belong to the Lord Jesus Christ? By show of hands. Amen. I love it. Okay, by another show of hands, how many people here would say that they are disciples? Okay, a little bit less, but it should be the same. Right? Because if you are purchased by the blood of the Lamb and you belong to Christ Jesus, you fly his banner. Guess what? You are a disciple. <laughs> right? We are all called to be discipled by the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you are a disciple and you're sitting here today, the question really becomes, what are you doing here? 
Why do you come on Sunday? Why are you sitting in the pew right now? At such a time as this, at such a time as now, what are you doing? What do you expect to receive? Who is the Jesus you come to find? Who is the Jesus you claim to follow? You see, I love that we did a whole sermon series on the real Jesus. Um, but the question is for you, really, like, what do you expect from Jesus? You see, because I think many of us here, if we're honest, we're following him for the, the wrong reasons. Maybe you're here because you want God to fix something. Maybe you're here because you're going through a hard time and, and, and you just you need something and you're kind of grasping at strings at, at this point. Maybe you're here because you're going through some financial hardship. Maybe you're here because you're addicted. Maybe you're here because that's what you, what you do on Sundays. Grandmom did it, mom did it, dad did it, now here I am and I'm doing it. Maybe you got dragged in, right, by your arm, kicking and screaming. Whatever, whatever reason that you're here, maybe it's the wrong reason. And I say that uh, because, you know, the disciples had it wrong. The original 12, you see, they, they also had it, had it wrong originally why they were following Jesus. And if you're here and maybe you are following Jesus for the wrong reasons, don't, don't lose heart. Because like I said, the disciples ran into the same problem. And we're going to address it this morning by looking at three different things. One, we're going to look at the misconception. Things from scripture uh, that, that the disciples were following Jesus and they had a misconception of who he was and why they were following him, what they were trying to get from him. Number two is we're going to talk about the reality, the reality of what it means to follow Jesus, not my opinion, but according to what the king himself says. And three, we're going to talk about the resolution. If you're struggling with this and, and you're here today and, you, and you, maybe you're convicted, we're going to talk about how to resolve uh, this issue. The scriptures that we're going to use today, if you guys want to open up your Bibles and earmark uh, Romans 7, 18 to 25, we're going to end there, but we're going to start in Luke chapter 9, verses 43 to 62. Romans chapter 7, verse 18 to 25 is where we're going to end, and we're going to start in Luke chapter 9, verse 43 to 62. Let's dive in. First, the misconception. The misconception. From Luke chapter 9, starting the second half of verse 43 to verse 45. While everyone was marveling at all that Jesus did, he said to his disciples, listen carefully to what I am about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand what this meant. It was hidden from them so that they did not grasp it and they were afraid to ask him, about it. Now, this is the second time he explained to his disciples that he must die. So you'd think they'd start to get the point. And there's two kind of uh, lines of thought here because it does say they did not understand what it meant. It was hidden from them. So there's a line of thought that God hardened their heart, if you will. God kind of veiled it from them, the truth, the reality of that their Messiah, their, their rabbi would have to suffer at the hands of, of sinners to die, Right? But then there's the other line of thought that they just didn't want to hear it, which I tend to lean that way. Why? Because Jesus says, listen carefully. Other versions of scripture say, let it sink into your ears what I am saying. You see, there's a heavy emphasis on listen carefully. And they didn't, of course, right? Um, they, they, they missed it because they didn't want to hear it, I believe, because they wanted a conquering king then and there. They wanted Jesus to swoop in and with a mighty right hand, raise up an army, wipe out the Romans and give the Holy Land back to the Jews, just as has been done 
right? Like you see, and they come from Assyria, they come from, from captivity, they come back in, into, into Israel, they were promised the promised land, they come out of Egypt. And so you kind of see this theme playing over and over. So again, to their defense, they kind of assume, like, that's what's going to happen again. The Messiah is going to come, he's going to wipe them all out. But they were mistaken. He had to die. He had to die. You see, so that's, that's the first misconception. And the question that we should kind of glean from that is what Jesus are we expecting as you sit here today? Do you have a misconception of a Jesus that's going to come and just conquer all your hardships and you're just going to live like a, on a rainbow and everything is going to be peachy keen? Is that the Jesus that you're searching for today? The next one comes uh, from Luke chapter 9, verses 46 to 48. So after Jesus tells them all about, you know, i got to die, again, he tells them the second time, an argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the one to save them. No, that's not what it says. Which one would be the greatest? Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him, and he said to them, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the little one who sent me, for the one who is least among you is the greatest. So just after Jesus gets done saying, like, hey, guys, listen, I want to die. I, I want to get handed over. They're like, oh, yeah, well, well uh, we're going to kind of skip that. But what about us? What am I going to get? What am I going to get from being Jesus? Maybe, man, you know what? We're gonna, I want to be a sergeant. I want to be a general in his army as they wipe out the Romans. The question is, is, as you're sitting here in the pews today, what do you think? Do you come to Jesus hoping just to get that raise? hoping that you'd be able to get enough money to pay those bills. Or maybe you come into Christianity and you catch a little bit of knowledge from God and you think like, well, I'm going I'm to be, be the lead pastor. I'm going to come for Nate's job. Right? Maybe. Could you be misconceived? Is that the wrong reason why you're here today? Because, see, if you hear what Jesus says, he says, for the one who is least among you is the greatest. To me, this is a message of humility. And serving. I think men have a hard time with that because we're leaders after all. Or are you the head servant of your households? Moving on. We go to the next one, Luke chapter 9, verses 49 and 50. Master, said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your names and we tried to stop him because he is not one of us. Hmm. Don't stop him, Jesus said. For whoever is not against you is for you. Poor John here had a misconception that service to Jesus was reserved for only them. You could say for the elite, the in. They're out there. We're in here. Well, they can't come in here. They can't serve you. They can't say your name because they're not us. They don't look like us. They don't sound like us. They don't dress like us. Therefore, they're out. We're in. Sound familiar? I'm guilty of that sometimes, right, where I see certain things and I'm like, there's no way. I even thought that about myself. There's no way Jesus could love you. There's no way that you'd be able to lay hold upon this holy writ purchased by the blood of the king. There's no way that you would even ever be able to speak his word. So I'm also guilty of that. You see, could we, as we sit here today, be limiting Jesus and who he can use for his kingdom? And for his glory, maybe, could be one of our misconceptions. And finally, the last part of Luke here, 
in, in, in part one of the misconception, starting in verse 51. It says, at time, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem, and he sent messenger on ahead, who went into Samar- a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. You know, Samaritans and the Jews didn't get along. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. And then he and his disciples went to another village. You see, finally, James and John had a misconception. The following Jesus gave them authority to rain down judgment and wrath with finality upon those who reject the truth, at least for the time being. We don't know if they ultimately rejected the truth in the end. After all, Jesus talked to the woman in Samaria, right? But the point was, is this, uh, they're in and, and they're out. was like, well, they didn't receive you at first, so you know what? Let's go and let's rebuke them. Let's, let's, let, matter of fact, let's wipe them off the face of the earth. Can we not be guilty of the same thing again? I just confessed I did that to myself, that I was beyond redemption. How dare we look at anybody, whether they stink or they're holding a cardboard sign or they're an addict or they're just far away from God or they curse the name of Jesus Christ, our King, lest we forget that that was us at one point in time in our life. Nobody here was born redeemed. Nobody. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. We all fall short of the glory of God. How dare we ever look at somebody and say, you are beyond redemption. You burn. You go to hell. We can't say that. That's not our job. What's our job? To love them. As Miss Winnie did to me, and she hugged me outside there as I walked through those doors 10 years ago, drunk and fresh out of prison. And I said, I got to run. I got to get out of here. Look at all these shiny people. And she hugged me, and she said, I love you. I wonder today, do we feel the same way sometimes when assuming someone beyond redemption and we kind of secretly pray for one's downfall. Now, here's the reality. That might, you know, hit you you a little bit, and you say, oh, man, maybe, why am I sitting here? Well, what is really, if I'm sitting here, and it's not for these things, and and by the way, this is is not an extensive, like, this isn't all exhaustive list. There's many other reasons why we come here being misconceived of why we follow the king. These are just a few. But maybe you're sitting here and you're wondering, okay, Chip, well, 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 what do we do then? I'm glad you asked because Jesus kind of gives us a little, a little roadmap here of things that we can expect as we follow the king. Things that he expects as we follow the king. Starting in verse 57, it says, as they were walking along the road. Uh, this is the reality, by the way. This is the reality of what is expected. As we were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to rest his head. Christ requires of us as disciples the rejection of our dependence upon worldly comforts. You see, he's not saying that all of us need to run out of here today, we need to sell everything we have, grab a cardboard box, and go live in a bush somewhere. That's not what he's saying. But he's saying here that if you place the world comfortabilities above me, you've missed it. Here's a question for you. If you were to leave this place today and you go home in your house burnt to the ground and you get out of your car to walk over to look at your house and you turn around and the tires fell off your car and then you check your phone and your bank account's been emptied out, would you praise them? 
if you claim to be a blood-bought believer of Jesus Christ the King? Would you be willing to leave all that behind to follow the call of the King? Because that's what Jesus is saying here. This is what I require of you. After all, I am God in the flesh and I am homeless. Would you be willing to be homeless if that's what God called you to? He's not going to call everybody to that, but these are extremes that Jesus is saying that, you need to, that are required of, of every person that flies this banner. Here's the second part. He says to another man, follow me. And he replied, Lord, let me first go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. The call of every disciple to proclaim the gospel or the kingdom of God supersedes even the seemingly most important tasks on earth. Even a funeral. Is he saying here, nobody's allowed to go to funerals anymore? No, absolutely not. We go, we, we, we share about our loved one. We grieve over the loss of their death. However, if Christ calls you to go follow him, then we are to leave the things of the world behind even if it's seemingly the most important thing from a worldly standpoint for us to do. Let me give you some examples of this. Your job. How about that? How many people here are like, well, I got to work on Sunday. Sunday's the only day I have to make appointments. So Sunday, I got, listen, I got go, to go work. Forgetting that God's the owner of cattle on a thousand hills. The only reason you got the breath in your lungs is because God gave it to you. And we put the job above God. What about your money? Well, I got to go get money. It's Sunday, and I got these things to do, and I, and I want to be busy the rest of the week, so maybe when I get to church, I'll get there. I'll give God some time another time. Maybe I'll sit down and pray tonight. Maybe I'll open the Bible tonight, or maybe I'll go back and watch the sermon that's recorded online and forsaking the assembly of the brethren. Here's some hard ones. How about your spouse and kids? Are we placing them in front of God? Because I tell you now, in my house, I have got to put Jesus first. Because if it wasn't for the blood that was spilled on that cross, I wouldn't even be here anyway. They would, she wouldn't have a husband. My kids wouldn't have a father. I'd be dead. He has to come first. You see? And that's what Jesus is saying here. That we have got to put proclaiming the gospel, the work of the kingdom, first. To supersede anything that's seemingly most important on earth requires us to put first the mission in every and any circumstance, even if it means costing us job, house, whatever. God has got to come first. And finally, the last one, he says to another, uh, another one says to him, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts their hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. How did that go for the Israelites when they looked back to their slavery in Egypt? Oh, God, we had, Moses, did you bring us out here to die? Surely we had it better back in slavery. At least we had food. We had stuff to eat. But you brought us out here because there was no room for graves in there. How'd that work out for them when they looked back? How about us? Are we guilty of looking back and saying, man, those were the good old days. Do you remember when? Oh, things were much better. Ladies and gentlemen, the best is yet to come. 
Our king promises to come back and he has you here for such a time as this and such a time as now to be part of his soldier army to go out and to proclaim the gospel that maybe some will live and one day he will come back and make everything new. Hallelujah, the best is yet to come. How dare we look back and think that something was better. Your God, your creator, your king reserved you for such a time as this and such a time as now. Will you accept it? Are you still busy looking black, looking back? Our key verse for broken beginnings is Isaiah 43, 18 and 19. It says this, forget the former things. Don't dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. It springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and a stream in the wasteland. You see, we can't ever forget where we come from because where we come from helps grow us into the men and women that we are today. However, the past no longer gets to define us if you believe in the king. Who gets to define you? Not your job or your money or, or women or men or judges or, or prosecutors or the world or teachers. Your king defines you and he calls me a child of God because he bled on that cross and died for the forgiveness of my sins. Did he do it for you? Further, he explains that there's a new thing. I'm doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? He came in the flesh. He died. He rose. And he's coming again. This is the new thing. He is the way in the wilderness. Matter of fact, he's the only way to the truth that leads to life. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one goes to the Father but through me. And he is the stream in the wasteland. Have you drank deep? from that well of living water that is Jesus Christ himself, that rivers of living water will flow from you. Have you drank in deep from that well that you will thirst no more? Do you pant after him as a deer pants for the stream? This is what he's talking about. Don't look back, but look forward to what he's going to do. Look forward to what is to come. Yes, there's many bad things going on. However, the best is still yet to come. It's promised. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? You see, in the end, Jesus, hear me, will not take second place to anything or anyone, even if the intentions are good. He will not take second place. Don't test it. Don't test it. And you see, he lays this out here from his disciples. So you probably, you know, maybe you're sitting there and you're like, wow, thanks a lot, Chip, for kind of giving us a, a little bit of a beat down, myself included. Well, well, what do we do, you know? Or maybe you're sitting here and you're like, this is all hogwash, right? And, and, and this is for you too. Yes, I was talking to mostly believers, but also to unbelievers now, because uh, maybe, maybe you're feeling convicted. Maybe you're like, well, I need some of this freedom. I need to understand what he's talking about. Or maybe you're sitting here and you're saying, well, maybe I am following Christ for the wrong reasons. Listen, take heart again, okay? Because not only did the, the apostles struggle, all of them did, even Paul. Listen to Romans chapter 7, verse, verse 18. It says, For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin living in me that does it. And so I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right here with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work within me, waging war 
against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. Wretched man that I am. You see, even Paul in humility, I wonder if we have the humility to confess that. Wretched man that I am. I feel that. I know who I was. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? And ask the question. If you're sitting here today, you're convicted, whether, whether you're following Christ for the wrong reasons or whether you don't know him at all, and you've been chasing the things of the world, you're like, if I just get enough money, I can fill this void. If I just get this job, I can fill this void. If I just get the perfect wife, then I'll fill this void. If I just get the perfect man, my knight in shining armor, then I'll have filled this void. And the whole time, you're saying, how do I do this in this body that is subject to death? Woe is me. I'm so tired and weary of this. And inside your soul is longing for something more. Listen to what Paul says. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. That is through the gospel. You see, Paul understood the gospel very, very well. Matter of fact, Paul spent most of his writings expounding on and, and, and bringing out the beauty and the majesty of the gospel message. Because if we're saved, and we all said we're saved, and we all said we're disciples, we have got to know the gospel, you see. And we just celebrated Christmas, so I want to kind of talk about for this last, uh, you know, little bit of time, uh, what is the gospel? Who is this Jesus? If we're saved, it says, he says, Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ. Who is he? Who is he really? Because we just celebrated Christmas, you see. And we sing Holy Night, which is a beautiful song. I love it. Not so accurate. Silent Night. It was a holy night. Wasn't so silent, probably, you see. Because history tells us that Mary was betrothed to be married. And in that time, the, the women that were betrothed to be married were between the ages of 13 and 15 years old. Young girls, right? Further, she was impregnated by God at this young age, betrothed to be married. Could you imagine the hard conversation between Mary and Joseph before the angel showed up to say, no, 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 it's all good. The accusations, maybe the ridicule, the shame that he was trying to put on her, maybe the, the people that knew about it was trying to put on her, the pressure on her, this little girl. And then they stuck her on a donkey and she went to Bethlehem. And she didn't go to Crozier. She didn't go to Christiana Care. She went in an animal stall. What do animals do in the animal stall? They go to the bathroom. They shed. They slobber. This is where our king chose to be born. He's God, certainly. He could have came in glory to the most glorious castle with all the finest silk and sheets in the land, with the cleanest of water, with all the servants around to help little Mary in every step of the way. But there was Mary, there was Joseph, and there was animals. And our king chose to be born in animal urine and feces and slobber. He was born in the filth. I've seen my kids born and it is a, is a mess. It's beautiful when the, when the baby comes out, but it's a mess. And it's nasty. There was no epidural. There was no, there was no Tylenol. There was no ibuprofen. There was this little girl that gave birth to God where there was animals. And this is how our king chose to be born into the world. Is he your king too? Have you genuinely thought about what he went through? Further, he was raised in poverty. You see, he was raised in Nazareth. They said in the Bible, does anything good come out of Nazareth? Well, we know from history 
that Nazareth was impoverished. It's like saying now, did anything good come out of Ellesmere? I'm from Ellesmere, by the way. <laughs> right? Same thing. So our king chose to be born in the filth and raised in poverty, working with his hands for 30 years of his life. He could have been raised in Jerusalem. That's where all the cream and the crop were, right? He could have went to the best place and had the best place to live. But he chose to be raised in poverty. This is my king. Is it yours? And then he goes into ministry, and certainly he's God, so you think he has this big Joel Osteen synagogue, right? This big giant mega church with all the, all the bells and whistles. Well, we just read. It says birds have nests and foxes have dens, but the Son of Man has nowhere to rest his head. He did ministry homeless. Homeless. He didn't have to. He's God, after all. This is what he chose to do. This is my king. Is he yours? Further, who do you hang out with? The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the, the, the best, the, all the teachers of the law, the scribes? No. Hung out with prostitutes, tax collectors, lepers, sinners. He even had a quote-unquote gang member, Simon the Zealot, who killed tax collectors. I think Nate did a sermon on that. Who kills tax collectors? Guess who he had on his 12? A zealot and a tax collector. This is who he hung out with. And then he goes into ministry. He feeds the multitude. He heals all the sick. He, he's casting out demons. And he does all these wonderful things. You'd think there'd be, there'd be plaques made of them. The Bible calls him a man of sorrows and familiar with pain. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a lamb before shares his silence, so he didn't open his mouth. You see, this gospel message, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, that it is of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. This is where our salvation starts. In the finished work of our king, you see, they led him like a lamb to the slaughter. They, they spit on him. They mocked him. They shoved the crown of thorns on his head, right? And they sent him off after the whip scourged him and ripping the skin off of his body. They stuck a, a cross on him and he stained it, soaked through with his blood and the ground beneath it. It says they divided his clothes and they stripped him naked. They cast lots for his undergarment because it was seamless. He was naked, folks. Have you ever been naked in front of a group of people? Our king did. He did it. And as he stripped naked, bleeding on a cross, being nailed through, he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He suffered and he died on that tree that he created, on a hill that he created, all the while being crushed by the wrath of God. Isaiah 53 says it was the Father's will to crush the Son. It was the Father's will to crush the Son. Why? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? So Jesus bled and died and drowned in the own fluids of his lungs on this Roman torture device that day. But he didn't stay there. He suffered, died, and was buried. And on the third day, he rose victorious over death. Hallelujah. 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 You see, he disarmed the powers and the principalities and dark forces of this world. He made a public spectacle of the enemy. You see, he rose up out of the grave. That guess what? You don't have to remain in the grave either. 
Maybe you're sitting here today filled with fear and shame and doubt and condemnation. The, the devil has his foot on your neck and says, stay in that grave. Look to your king. Look to your king and be free today. And hear him say, come up out of the grave, daughter. Come up out of the grave, son, and live today. My son died to free you. Do you hear his voice? Do you hear the king? Do you conceive him properly? Do you hear his voice say, get up, and you get up out of the grave, and you lift your head up as a child of God, no longer defined by the world and no longer shackled to the world, but defined by the one who died for you and further lives for you today. Because not only did he rise from the grave, but he ascended into heaven, and guess what he's doing? He's interceding on our behalf. So as the accuser of the brethren comes and stands before a holy God and says, look what Tim Santa Barbara did. That low-down, dirty dog, you see what he did? And he says, yes, but look what I did. He's free. Away with you, evil one. I love my king. I love my king. You see, this is the gospel, ladies and gentlemen. This is the gospel that frees us. If you understand that you deserve that cross and that Christ paid it all on that cross, you are forgiven. You are free and you can walk in this freedom. This is the only way to salvation. And this is what draws us to do these things, to be able to put the world away and walk into the newness of life. I want to close here in a minute. I want to invite the, the, the band up because, see, we, we're all resolving something here. Are we not? It's New Year's. We're all going to watch the ball drop, and we're going to say, I resolved to go work out. Well, I talked to the gym. They said, yeah, it lasts for about two weeks at the gym where it's packed, and then everybody kind of falls away. If you're going to make a resolution to do anything this year, please do me this favor. Resolve to fall in love with your king. Resolve to pant after him as a deer pants for the stream. You see, we've already established the fact that God loves us. We get it. He's His son died. This is the gospel. It's beautiful. Matter of fact, the Bible says God is love. The question is, do you love him? Do you love him? So if you're going to resolve to do anything this year, please, please don't die. Don't die in the grave, but get up out of it and pant after him as a deer pants in the stream and fall in love with your king, your redeemer, your rock, your friend, your brother, your God. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, my God, I thank you that you are our rock and our redeemer. I thank you that we are incapable in and of ourselves to attain to that. But Lord, we come before you this morning and we come with you with nothing but open hands and a broken and contrite heart. We come to you with nothing but a broken hallelujah. And we know, Father, that that's all you want a recognition of your greatness and our, our finiteness, our, our, our littleness. Lord, you don't require us to go and to go to the cross. You don't require us to go and put all the work in to earn your favor, to earn your love. No, we put work in because you already loved us. You've forgiven us. You have freed us and by your spirit, you have raised us up from the grave and you give us the perseverance to run the race that you set before us. So Lord, I pray that for these folks. Lord, move in somebody's heart today. Let the shackles fall to the ground for somebody today. Let somebody get up out of the grave and sing your praises all through this next year to commit to service to you. Let a sleepy church wake up, Father, to serve you, to honor you, to go to war for your kingdom and leave behind the things of the world because you alone, Lord my God, are worthy. You are worthy. You are worthy.
So, Father, we commit this teaching to you. We commit our lives to you. We love you. Maranatha, in Jesus' name, amen.